The show that you're about to listen to may contain themes of violence, occult activity, strong language, and other sensitive material, as well as a trigger warning. This podcast is meant for educational purposes only, and we mean nothing but respect to the parties involved. Listener discretion is advised. We strive to tell stories in a truthful manner, but press, media, and other sources cannot be verified. Sources can be found in the show notes. Hello! Hi! Welcome to Brain Soup. I'm Bria. I'm Tegan. I'm not sure if we introduced ourselves in the last couple of episodes. We did the first one. Did we? I'm not sure if we did the Drag Race one. We got too excited. We did get excited. Anyway, but you should know who we are. I would hope so. And if you don't, we're Bria and Tegan. <laughs> and we talk about the spooky stuff. The pop culture the stuff. the pop culture stuff. And we just be vibing. True crime stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, a little bit of everything. A little bit of everything. I don't know. We do. We've been talking for hours. So why don't we just hop right into it today? Because we ramble. Because we do ramble. It's okay. It is okay. Anywho, today we're chatting about a very infamous case that I feel like is very, very well known or at least should be. I feel like it's one of the the top three that people think about, or at least me as a person thinks about when I think about true crime. I didn't know about this case. Really? Mm-hmm. Really? I am dead serious. Oh my gosh. I feel like this is one of the cases that I always thought about when I think about true crime. I always tend to think about like serial killer stuff. Okay. More okay. than just like a singular mm-hmm. case. See, I think about singular cases. So, and this one had some new developments. Mm-hmm. So I'm back on my thing of old cases. New developments. <laughs> new developments. Anywho, on February 25th, 1957, there was a boy's body found wrapped in a plaid blanket in the woods off Susquehanna Road in Fox Chase, Philadelphia. Philly. Philly. The body was discovered by a young man who was checking his muskrat traps and feared that the police would confiscate the traps if so he did not report his findings. Yeah. Why? Was it illegal? I think so. That's why. I think so. A few days later, a college student spotted a rabbit running into the underbrush. Knowing that there were animal traps in the area, he stopped his car to investigate and discover the body. He was also reluctant. Reluctant? Reluctant. To have any contact with the police, but he did report what he had found the following day after hearing about the disappearance of Mary Jane Barker. So, okay. You could remove your traps, call the police, and then put them back. True. True. But also then, does what he have an alibi for for being out there? True. Like, you see a body, just report the freaking body and yeah, don't worry about your traps, exactly. dude. I mean, he was worried about getting himself in trouble. Yeah. But still, if you see a body, report it. I don't care if you're any sort of trouble. Literally, I agree. I can't stand people. No. Because this is a body. A body of a little boy. A little boy. 
The naked body was in- found inside of a cardboard box that had once contained a bassinet sold by J.C. Penny. When was the last time you went to a J.C. Penny? Been a while. Well, I have to go through J.C. Penny to get into specific parts of the mall. Okay. Because that's the place I park at. I see. I don't remember the last time I ever went into a J.C. Penny. But in 1957, J.C. Penny was like a hot store. I think the last time I actually like went into J.C. Penny was to get my ring sized. I see. I don't remember the last time I went into a J.C. Penny. The boy's hair had recently been cut, possibly after death, as clumps of hair stuck to the body. There were signs of severe malnourishment, surgical scars on the ankle and groin, and an L-shaped scar under his chin. His feet and hands were pruny, suggesting he had been in water, according to WFTV9. So, if you aren't able to tell, this is the story of the boy in the box. It's kind of a crazy case. Why all the scarring? Exactly. What happened to this poor boy to where he... And it looked surgical, so it didn't look, you know... It looked like somebody was just cutting him up. Was it fresh or was it... It was... I'm not sure if it was, like, fresh, but it was... Or was it scarred over I think it may have been scarred over. So we might have had some type of Mm -hmm. thing in the past where he needed surgery to get fixed. But his body was very bruised and beaten and just didn't look very good at all. Because an L-shaped scar under the chin could be a lot of things. Mm -hmm. He could have... I don't know what surgery was like back then. Pretty... I think pretty still rough at this point in time. Because that could be something to be with his trig. It could be anything. Yeah. I think surgery was pretty rough at this time still, but not like medieval rough, mm-hmm. you know? That was rough. <laughs> that was rough. That was really bad. Um, yeah, I still can't get out of my head why train saws were actually made. Why what? Chainsaws were made. Mm, I don't. Even, I don't even know. I don't want to know. I don't want to know. You don't want to know. know. No, you don't want to know. But I smell an episode on the weirdest surgical things coming. Oof! You don't want to know because I don't even want to imagine. Lord have mercy. Because only girls would undergo this. If you. Okay. 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 Yeah. Any. Anywho. Anywho. Yep. Sorry for getting um, a little graphic. But. Despite these clues of facial reconstruction and hundreds of thousands of flyers were distributed across Pennsylvania, the boy's identity remained unknown. The Associated Press reports that detectives chased numerous leads, including that he was a Hungarian refugee, a kidnap victim from 1955, and even related to local carnival workers. I thought this was a carnivore, and I'm like, what? <laughs> what in God's name was going on here? Not a carnivore. Carnival. Carnival. The police received a report and opened an investigation on February 26, 1957. The dead boy's fingerprints were taken, and the police at first were optimistic that he would soon be identified. However, no one ever came forward with any useful information. What's with all these February cases? Oh, shit. We picked two February cases going Where the into... bodies were found anyway. Yeah. That's weird. That is weird. Hmm. That was totally accidental too. Mm-hmm. That just kind of happened. Ow. Crazy. The cases attracted considerable media attention in Philadelphia and the Delaware Valley. 
the Philadelphia Inquirer printed 400,000 flyers depicting the boys' likeness, which were sent out and posted across the area and were included in every gas station and shop in Philadelphia. The crime scene was combed over and over again by 270 police academy recruits who discovered a man's blue corduroy cap, a child's scarf, and a man's white handkerchief with the letter G in the corner. All the clues led to nowhere. The police had questioned about the cap at the local place where it had been found and made on a tag, and um, nothing really came of that other than it was a custom-made cap. But things were different in that time, and they didn't really have the records to, you know, be like, well, yeah, that cap was made exactly for this man. You know what I mean? Everything's digitized now. Yeah. Even then... Even now, you can still make custom stuff without yeah. having to have put, a record of it. Right. All. That's what. Um, also distributed a post-mortem photograph of the boy fully dressed and in a seated position that made him look as if he was alive in hope that they might find the lead to a clue. So still no one claimed this boy at all. So the box. This case is known as the boy in the box. The box itself contained a serial number which allowed investigators to pinpoint the shipment that it came from. They were able to trace it to a JCPenney store 15 miles away. The box was used before to ship a bassinet and the store had shipped out about 12 of these at the time. But the people who had purchased them had paid in cash and there was no records of the purchases left. The police couldn't determine much about the box but did determine that the box was shipped to Upper Darby, Pennsylvania. The boy was also wrapped in a blanket, and the blanket was said to have either been from Granby, Quebec in Canada, or Swannanoa, North Carolina, but there was no way to tell where this particular blanket had come from. That's far from each other. They are, aren't they? And was this bassinet purchased for him? What? The bassinet. They don't know. Because I don't know how old this boy was when he passed. He was four. He shouldn't be in a bassinet. Yeah. Well, in that time it might be, but... It might be. But they don't know if the box was, you know, a bassinet from his house. They don't know where this boy came from Mm. at all. Nobody claimed this boy. Nobody knew who this boy was. You know, like, nobody was saying anything about this boy when he was found. So they really had, you know, nothing to go off of. Mm -hmm. And, you know, DNA was different then. Yep. Um, everything was different then. This is the 50s. Mm-hmm. We're already getting into theories because we talked about the crime and there's really no resolution to this crime for years upon years. <laughs> Isn't it weird how we both chose something that had like a million theories attached to it too? I think it it is kind of weird. I, there's with them being so far apart from each other, but within, like, the same, like, month, that's kind of weird, too. That was. And it's the month we are, you know, months we're in slash in. coming up upon. And crazy, crazy things, crazy things. Two theories generated considerable interest among the police and the media and were extensively investigated. The first was of a child from a foster home. And the other theory was that he was related to a woman named Martha who came forward in 2002. Both theories were ultimately determined to be unconfirmed. So the foster home theory. 
This theory concerns a foster home that was located approximately 1.5 miles from the site of the body. In 1960, Remington Bristow, an employee of the medical examiner's office who kind of pursued the case on his own until his death in 1993. So that kind of gives away how long this case had been going on for. A long, long time. So 1960 to 1993. That's 60 years. That's... No, 30 years. 30 years. I can't do math. 60 years. No. So that's... I saw the 60 in the 1960s. So that's 30 years. So this case at this point is almost 35 years old. Um... Uh, so this man, Remington, contacted a New Jersey psychic who told him to look for a house that matched the foster home. So when the psychic was brought to Philadelphia to the discovery site, she led Bristow directly to the foster home. Now, psychics are a little dodgy and they're really cool, but they kind of, you know, you never know. Was this being a 30 year old case? Some This person had to have known something about this. Yeah. I agree with that. I mean, I feel like this case, even though you didn't know about it, was kind of popular, even just in media, because this boy was never, you know, no one knew who who this boy was. And it was a continuous effort in Philadelphia Mm -hmm. by many volunteers and people. They held, like, um, services for him every year at a certain time in the year. And so I feel like, especially in Philadelphia, this case was known about Mm -hmm. um, and surrounding areas. So I feel like that's why she may have came forward Mm -hmm. and was like, yes. But you never know what a psychic knows. You never. That's what scares me about psychics is if you're like walking into a psychic. Yeah. Which I've always kind of wanted to do just to see what they want to say and what is actually correct. Yeah. But every psychic is different per person, too. Uh Uh-huh. So it's like. You can only take what they say with a grain of salt because you don't want to force something to happen. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You don't want to listen to what they say and then they're like, oh, wait, that's going to happen to me and then kind of force it to happen. You want it to happen on its own. Yeah. And not like, you know what I'm saying? It's I do. To... I do. I mean, there's such a perception of psychics, especially yeah. with TV and film. Yeah. That, you know, really kind of makes up what people think about them. Mm-hmm. So Bristow attended a estate sale at the foster home and he discovered a bassinet similar to the one sold at jc penny he also discovered blankets hanging on the clothesline that were similar to the one in which the body had been wrapped in bristow believed that the boy belonged to the stepdaughter of a man who ran the foster home and they disposed of his body so that the stepdaughter would not be exposed as an unwed mother. However, the police had established that all the foster children were accounted for, and a re-examination by police investigators confirmed that the family were likely not involved. In 1998, Philadelphia Police Lieutenant Tom Augustine, who was in charge of the investigation, and several members of the VDOC Society, which was a group of retired policemen and profilers who will pop up again and again in this story because they kind of, they held this case alive. They made sure, you know, this case stayed alive so that the boy will one day be identified. Good for them. And I'm glad that they, did. Um, they were all volunteer workers. I'm glad that they did that. I'm glad too. Um, they, you know, just gave as much time as they could to this case. Mm-hmm. The policemen and profiles interviewed the foster father and the stepdaughter, whom he had married, which is horrible, and the foster home investigation was closed. 
So what happened to the mom in this situation then? I don't know. She's never, in any of my sources, was never mentioned again. Because stepdaughter would mean that they would have to be married and that was her daughter. Yeah, she never was mentioned in the this, from what I could find. So something might have happened to her to where she had passed or was no longer in the picture. And yeah. then the stepdaughter was then married to her stepfather. Yeah. I wonder how old she was and if they had kids themselves. Ooh, I don't know, but that's kind of nasty. Mm. <laughs> um, well, I wonder if back then they had some type of benefits for being married. Maybe. And that's why they did it. Maybe. Even then, I mean, you can do whatever you want, but yeah, that's not that's not good for me. No, no, it's it is gross. A, it's kind of it's kind of weird. It's weird. It's kind of weird. I'm not down with it. I'm not either. Anywho, a second theory: the woman known as Martha or M. And so Martha or M came forward in February of 2002. So now we jump another few years to 2002. This case stayed unsolved. Yeah. By a woman, she was only identified as Martha or M. Police considered her story to be plausible, and they were troubled by her testimony as she had a history of mental illness. Um, Martha claimed that her abusive mother had purchased the unknown boy, whose name was Jonathan, from his birth parents in the summer of 1954. Subsequently, the boy was subjected to extreme physical and sexual abuse for two and a half years. By who? By the mom that bought him. That's I'm gross. a father, maybe. Uh, you know, just no. people in this family. Awful. Um, so one evening at dinner, the boy vomited up his meal of baked beans and was given a severe beating with his head slammed against the floor until he was semi-conscious. He was giving a bath during which he died. Um, these details matched information known only by the police as the coroner had found that the boy's stomach contained the remains of baked beans and his fingers were water-wrinkled. So, I mean, little bits of, you know, um, this theory is plausible in a way but also i feel like baked beans may have been a common food then in the 50s too because it was cheap and they're coming right out of the depression Mm -hmm. so yeah Uh, martha's mother had cut the boy's distinctive long hair accounting to the unprofessional haircut which police noted in their initial investigation In an effort to conceal his identity, Martha's mother forced Martha to assist her in dumping the boy's body in the Fox Chase area. Martha said that they were preparing to remove the boy's body from the trunk of the car, and a passing male motorist pulled up alongside to inquire whether they needed help. Martha was ordered to stand in front of the car's license plate to shield it from the view while the mother convinced the good Samaritan that there was no problem. The man eventually drove off. The story corroborated confidential testimony given by a male witness in 1957. Correct. Who said that the body had been placed in a box previously discarded at the scene. In spite of an outward plausibility of Martha's confession, police were unable to verify her story. 
Neighbors who had access to Martha's house during the statement stated that the time period denied that there had been a young boy living there and dismissed Martha's claims as ridiculous. So Martha's, you know, tripping. I don't believe that story. Really? Yeah. I think it is the most plausible of the theories that I have, but I don't think, you know, any of the theories are right. Nothing about this sounds right at all. Yeah. One last theory. Forensic artist Frank Bender developed a theory that the victim may have been raised as a girl. Oh. The child's unprofessional haircut, which appeared to have been performed in haste, was the basis for the scenario, as well as the appearance of the eyebrows having been styled. But also, who styles their little girl, like, child's eyebrows? First of all, I mean nowadays people do that. Yeah, but I was I didn't get my eyebrows like waxed or anything no. for the first time until I was in like sixth or seventh grade when I started, you know, getting into makeup and mm. all that stuff. So this kid was four. This baby was four. I mean, some people do think like that because they want Maybe. their children to be like the poster child that mm-hmm. everybody wants to see, yeah. which is completely messed up. Take your child as they are. Yeah, but nowadays it's more common. I can yeah. see how it is a thing. I can I suppose. In 2008, which is more years later. Jesus. So we just keep building up and building up in years, which horrible. Awful. In 2008, Bender released a sketch of the unidentified child with long hair reflecting the strands found on the body. In 2016, eight years later, two writers, one from Los Angeles, California, Jim Hoffman, and the other from New Jersey, Luis Romano, believe they had discovered a potential identity from Memphis, Tennessee, and requested that DNA be compared between the family members and the child. The lead was originally discovered by a Philadelphia man who introduced Romano and Hoffman to each other, and that was developed and presented with the help of Hoffman to the Philadelphia Police Department and the VDOC Society, in early 2013, in December 2013, Romano became aware of the lead and agreed to help the man from Philadelphia and Hoffman to obtain the DNA from the particular family member in January 2014, which was sent quickly to the Philadelphia Police Department. Local authorities confirmed that they would investigate the lead and said that they would need to do more research on the circumstances surrounding the link to the Memphis before comparing DNA. In December... 2017, Homicide Sergeant Bob Colmaner confirmed that DNA taken from the Memphis man was compared to the Fox Chase boy, and there was no connection. So, I just did a quick little search. Yes. And wasn't there hair found on the boy? Is that what you said? Yep. Yep. Why was was it not DNA tested? I am not sure. Was there, like, that kind of DNA testing at the time? Then they done messed up. Up. Well, when I looked up, when was hair strand testing, like, really, like, first invented? And it says 1987 for hair follicle. Okay. So, hair does last that long. It does, but also, for DNA testing, doesn't it have to be from the root of the hair? I have no idea. You can find, like, nowadays, you can find DNA in just about anything. I think you can. But even then, you could still use the body, I would feel, mm-hmm. that you could still... T- 
try and see. Maybe. But I mean, they took his fingerprints. They took, you know, whatever they could. But I, there was nothing on them testing hair or them testing blood or them testing teeth or... That's where I'm like... You know, anything like that. So they may have flopped with that. Even, like, nowadays, I might be thinking a little bit more further in history with, like, how far our medical system yeah. has come. But still, I don't think that this was handled correctly. I I can see that. I can honestly see that. Especially with it being a little boy, I don't think people would really take note into it. Yeah. I think they would focus more on, like, adults and people of, like higher status rather than a boy that they don't know Mm -hmm. that's even missing yeah at this point i mean at this point there was no missing children in the area that's why i'm saying like they didn't really think they didn't they were just like well here's this dead boy that Mm -hmm. showed up in a box and they didn't know what to really do yeah truly and that's what's sad about it and that's partially because no one came forward Mm -hmm. but also because of that that didn't you know come along that um, nobody claimed this boy when the boy was found did they say how long he was um, passed for they didn't know so I think they could it was like between some days and maybe some weeks Um, but like the elements and stuff kind of you know tear up bodies and stuff yeah it's true even then, there must have been something left yeah. where they could have tested something. I'm, but there's, there's, uh, which I, we're not posting on the uh, socials or anything. But there's pictures of like his legs and like his torso, Jesus. showing the bruises that when I was searching this case, I saw, mm-hmm. and they're pretty graphic. So you know, to you Look guys, your, your own. own. Um, but he. I mean, he was there. It couldn't have been longer than weeks, you know, Mm -hmm. because his body wasn't completely decomposed, but it was pretty sunken in and he was bruised pretty badly. So he might have actually been from an abusive household to where they just dumped him. Yeah. Yeah. And then they left. Yeah. So. That does sound like a foster kid. It kind of does. And. It it sounds it's awful to say, pretty but bad. it sounds like a foster mm-hmm. child. So, in 1998, his body was exhumed for the purpose of extracting DNA, which was obtained by a tooth, which was, you know, really all they could get at this time from the body because of the decomposition, because this was so many years later. Mm-hmm. Um, on March 21st, 2016, the National Center for Mixing and Exploited Children released a forensic facial reconstruction of the victim and added him into their database, which 2016 is a long time. Yeah. Um, Since 1950. Mm-hmm. That's 60 years. Now it's 60 years. Yeah. I can do my math now. You can. You can. I'm proud of you. Um, the body was exhumed yet again in 2019 to retie- retrieve additional DNA samples. And so 2019 is even longer. Mm-hmm. Um, so despite the publicity and sporadic interest throughout the years, the boy's identity remained unknown for decades. So, you know, at this point, this could be considered a bit of a forgotten case Mm -hmm. but 
the VDOC Society, which was mentioned many, many times, yeah. did not let people, and the people of Pennsylvania didn't let, you know, everyone forget about this case. Good on them. It was good on them and very happy for them because it had an outcome. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's um, some pretty cool stuff related to the memorial of the boy all around Pennsylvania. There's a big sign that tells a bit of the story behind him. And, you know, he has his memorial site that people keep toys at and bring toys and flowers and gifts to him. And, you know, these people kind of of Pennsylvania um, kind of adopted the boy mm-hmm. as, you know, this is their boy. This is they I want to, you know, bring his name to justice. Mm-hmm. Um, so on November 30th, 2022, the Philadelphia Police Department announced that detectives had determined the boy's identity using DNA and genealogical databases. On December 8, 2022, more than 65 years after his body was found, the boy was publicly identified as Joseph Augustus Zarelli during a press conference held by Philadelphia Police Department. That is 65 years. That's crazy. That's so much time. And I cannot... I was so excited when... You know, they discovered this. And mm-hmm. this and the woman of the the Lady of the Dunes mm-hmm. came so close to each other. And they're such old cases mm-hmm. that, like, I don't know. It makes me really freaking happy. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, they could – this is bringing up so much stuff that they're identifying all these cold mm-hmm. cases. It's amazing. Like, and there's so many other cold cases yeah. that, you know, could be identified. They can find, you know, who – murdered John Bonet Ramsey mm-hmm. and that case is that is a crazy case we gotta cover uh, that we one do. too they could find out who killed the black Dahlia yeah. you know so it, within months of each other these two cases that have been unsolved for so long have been solved or not solved but you know there's closure Enough. brought yeah. in like we know who these you know two people who were sadly you know, their lives were cut short very young. We know who they are. I wonder if they could figure out anything else on Elisa Lamb. I, you know, maybe. Maybe. Or any of the cases that we've covered. Maybe. I mean, there's so many that who actually, you know, did the things to the West Memphis Three and mm-hmm. all that stuff. John Benet Ramsey. John Benet Ramsey. Um, the voice of Ducky in the Land Before Time. Oh my gosh. That yeah. Awfully it's sad. really bad because they still don't know about that one either mm-hmm. yeah and with them happening so long ago i wonder if they can even do anything but i mean this was 65 years, years ago. ago so the other the woman of the dunes the lady of the dunes was what that was more recent 45 i want to say years ago mm-hmm. that one was 45 this one was 65 years mm-hmm. ago the investigators found that Joseph Augustus Zarelli was born on January 13th, 1953, making him four years old when his body was found. Poor little guy. Mm-hmm. He was tiny. He was so little. And then this happened to him. Aside from that, however, the detectives were tight-lipped. They explained that numerous questions still remain about Zarelli's life and death. For now, the police are not releasing the names of Zarelli's parents, both out of respect for his living siblings, and so he has living siblings, mm-hmm. 
So there's people who, you know, are able to tell this little boy's story a little bit, a little if they re- have a memory, you know, of it. Because you assume they were littler mm-hmm. too. We don't know if they were younger or older than him. But at this point, they're older than 65. Yeah. And maybe even younger. younger than 65 because his parents could have had them after mm-hmm. his death. I wonder if they found the DNA through, like, 23andMe or something like that. Maybe. Because that's how they found out the most recent... The woman of the... The Lady of the Dunes. And then the one that just came out with the um, Iowa murders. Oh, yeah. That's how they found out who did it there, too. Yeah. Is through, like, a genealogy type mm-hmm. thing. Mm-hmm. Through a... Um, what's the word? Genetics test. Yeah. Genetics tests are cool. Yeah, they are. But scary. Oh, yeah. Like, I am petrified of them. <laughs> Me too. Um, police say Zarelli has siblings on both his maternal and paternal sides. Many are still in the area. His mother and father are both deceased. They also refuse to speculate on who killed Zarelli, though they noted that they have their suspicions. So. I bet it's the parents. Maybe. But they have not said anything about it um, because they still don't know. This is a quote that I found that I liked. And it is from Danielle Outlaw, who is the um, police chief there currently. Um, And she says, this is still an active homicide investigation. And we still need the public's help in filling in this child's story. This announcement only closes one chapter in the little boy's story while opening up a new one. And I really like that because mm-hmm. it gives the, you know, we know who the boy is, mm-hmm. but now who, who is? hurt who, this right. boy and took his life away when he was four years old. So I really, really like that, you know, quote about it. I wonder... Like, how much older his siblings were or I w- how much younger. I want to know that. I want to know that really bad. But out of – I've watched – they released, uh, like, two weeks ago a 30-minute doc mm-hmm. on the boy, like, right after it was announced that they found out who he was. Mm-hmm. They released – some news station that might have been in Philadelphia released a 30-minute doc that I watched yesterday on who he was. Uh, because now at this point everything is kind of falling in the kind place. of it's falling into place, but everything else that's been done on this case is outdated Dated. because he's we know who he is. Now what happened? Now what happened? That's why I was wondering if he had like any older siblings, because yeah. siblings could easily siblings, parents, yeah, family members, family members, a nanny. Yeah, so I want to know, you know, if the siblings know if he was abused if they were abused if they remember anything like that happening if they were put in foster care if, yes if they were put in foster care you know they depending on these kids ages these siblings ages mm-hmm. they could you know completely open up this case mm-hmm. even more again well even with the sidekick yeah they could have easily been at that foster home yeah 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 you so, never know. It could all, so many of these things could tie together, mm-hmm. you know. But we we may know. We may never know. Mm-hmm. But, you know, there's a little bit of closure to them now. Um, 
So scientists like Dr. Colleen, Colleen Fitzpatrick described the uh, mission as piecing together a Sudoku puzzle. The difficulty was really upfront, Fitzpatrick said, because DNA was like confetti. The boy was buried in 1957, so after 65 years ago, the DNA is basically, you know, not there. Yeah. Um, there was only tiny little pieces of it. So they kind of put them together like a big Sudoku puzzle, and once they got it, um, they figured it out, you know. They figured out who he was. So Joseph was originally buried in Potter's Field, but he was reburied at Ivy Hill Cemetery in Cedar Brook, Philadelphia, and was donated a large plot, a coffin, and a headstone, as well as a funeral service by um, the VDOC Society. Um, so the VDOC Society donated that new mm-hmm. second piece of land. So he was buried in two spots. The first headstone that the boy had said, Heavenly Father, bless this unknown boy. And then February 25th, 1957, which was the first time he was buried. And then the new headstone that was donated by the VDOC Society said, um, America's unknown child, as well as the date with a little lamb above it. And um, so that turned the boy from the boy in the box or Joseph Mm -hmm. that turned Joseph from the boy in the box to America's unknown child. But now Joseph is no longer unknown. Right. And soon his headstone will be changed to Joseph's his, his name. name. And he gets his name back after 65 years. And That's good. Um, I think that's really cool. Yeah. And I've really, you know, these two cases that we've covered where these super old cases are being um, discovered discovered and solved most part of the way. Mm -hmm. Because you get the part where in certain cold cases where you find out who the person, the Jane Doe, John Doe is, Mm -hmm. and then you start working on the who killed them. Right. Or vice versa. Mm -hmm. And so these two where they find out who the person is have been very cool to me. And they warm my heart because they I have mean, their identity back. They have their identity back, and that's what they deserved after these horrible, horrible things have happened to them. Mm-hmm. And that's today's case about the boy in the box. There's a lot that could have went on. There's so much, and you know, it makes it really difficult that his parents are both deceased because mm-hmm. they can't be talked to. Mm-hmm. But it also makes it difficult that he – it's good he has siblings, but it makes it difficult that his siblings could have been way, way young like him mm-hmm. and have no memory of it. I mean, you got to think. He could have had, like, a teenage sibling at that time, but I feel like in that time you pop out three, four kids. And then hope. And then don't have any more. I feel like that happens. Yeah. Unless he has, like, an immense amount of siblings. There could be more than one. It said paternal and maternal. That's what. So. He could have more than one. Yeah. So paternal and maternal. That means, that sounds like, you know, half siblings. Exactly. Or, you know, all these different things. Step siblings. Step siblings, even. So I'm really hoping for some more news on this case in the next year, maybe. I'm sure we'll get some type of update. I I hope so. But 
I don't know if it will be as soon as we hope. No. Because DNA, especially when it's as old as it is, it could take a while. It could. If the siblings have had something to do with it, they've had 65 years to conjure up a plan to where all their stories could... You're right. You're right. Even if it wasn't them, whoever did it has had the time to conjure up a story to make sure they don't lie. Yeah, and I mean, they could be dead, too. Mm -hmm. Like, no matter what age, you know, it's been 65 Mm -hmm. years. If they were younger when they did it, if they were older when they did it, if, you know, whoever, they could be dead, too. Mm -hmm. So They would be in their 70s. They would. If they were siblings. If they were, yeah, 70s. Potentially 70s. Potentially. I think the youngest they could be would be, like, and, like, know what kind of happened is, like, three, four. Mm-hmm. His age, literally. Yeah. Because that's when you start developing the memories mm-hmm. and stuff. Um, and it's just crazy. That's, and Yeah, that's a nuts case. Mm-hmm. I never heard anything about it. Like I said, really? I, I am more of one that focuses on, like, serial killers mm-hmm. or things like that. Like, I knew of Elisa Lamb through social media. Yeah. And that's where I find out a lot of my cases, like the Gabby Petito thing. Yeah. That was yeah. a really widely known that case. That one was, I remember following that one. I was as, following that one, like, nonstop. Yes, I constantly was looking at things on it. I'm still following the one that, um... I'm following... Illinois. Was it Illinois Idaho. State? The, the um, college student that went missing? Um, was it Northern know. or was it Illinois State? I have no... As one of the two. I don't know what you're talking about. You don't. I don't think I do. <gasps> that case is messed up, too. Is it? I'm following the Idaho state murders I'm, right now. I haven't gotten too into it. I wasn't. And my best friend's stepmom told me about it when I was working with her because I went on a, sh- on a shoot with her mm-hmm. for a couple weeks. I, she employed me. She gave me some monies. <laughs> um, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm a freelance photographer yeah, she is. on the site, if you guys didn't know. But she gave me some monies, and she was talking about it, and then they just caught the suspect. Mm-hmm. So I've been really freaking into that lately. I really wanted to get, like, really, really into it. I just know that four college students were murdered. Correct. And then it was, like, a professor that did he it? He wasn't a professor. He was, like, a TA. Oh. And he had a, um, like, a master's or something, a master's of criminology. E. Yeah. That's yeah. messed up. Yeah. It's crazy. That's a whole other case that I'm not willing to talk about until it's solved. <laughs> right. Because we don't know. We still have some more. And it's literally fresh. It's so yeah, freaking it's fresh. so fresh to where. That we literally shouldn't even be talking about it right now because respect. Yes. Wait, let me see if I can find any. It was. Where was it? I'm trying to find the school. Where it was. Because I want to potentially cover it. Mm-hmm. It's ISU. It was Illinois State. Okay. Illinois cases are hard to do for us, though, because we're like, yeah, that place. And then we're like. We wouldn't be familiar with the area, though. Are we, are we not? Mm-mm. ISU is in. The car. No. No, that's Southern. That's Southern. Where's ISU at? Normal. I think I've been to ISU as a visit. I went there for a visit. A, a visit? A visit. I think I went there for a theater festival one year. <laughs> and I was originally going to go there, but then mm-hmm. I didn't like the school. Ah. So um, 
yeah, I heard about this case, and I'm like, oh, there's something that went missing. Okay. That wasn't, like, any partake of why I didn't go. Yeah. But it was just kind of weird how I kind of looked there, and then somebody turns up missing. Yeah, that's crazy. Mm -hmm. These are completely other things. But there are cases that <laughs> they are potentially cases cover. that are potential. We do have a little list of cases to cover that mm-hmm. we yeah. I think we're gonna scatter a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, so keep an eye out for those. And if there's any that you want us to cover, like I really want to cover the Jabba Ramsey for sure. Yeah, because there's a lot of suspicion in that one. I I think that's a pretty. I actually already I wrote a full paper. For yeah, I read a full paper on it. It was like seven pages long. I was popping off. I mean, I wrote a what ten page paper on the Duggar family for my sociology class. You would. I feel like everybody picks the Duggar family for sociology. It's messed up. It's crazy. My mom used to watch the show. That's why I picked it. Yeah, I used to watch the show. My mom watches Sister Wives. Ew. There's a lot of controversy going on with that, I too. I know, and I don't know why I've been keeping up with it, but I have. <laughs> it's all over my TikTok. It is. Because Cody, I hate him. Ew. I've seen way more Sister Wives than I'd like to admit Me that too. I've seen. Like, so much. I've seen so <laughs> many episodes of Sister Wives. I don't even know how. It just happened. Any TLC show is just, like, messed TLC up. TLC shows are f- odd. They are messed up. I don't think I've ever, like, liked one. Mm-mm. Like, at all. No, it's because even the Kate plus eight. Oh my gosh, that was I did. Re- I watched oh, that growing up, like a lot. I watched that growing up too, and that one's even messed up. Yeah, well, it's I've seen even, even now. Worse. Yes, I've seen now. People are talking about like Kate's relationship with Aiden, mm-hmm. and like all that stuff. Yeah. Oh God, TLC is just together. finds people with the oddest and the oddest like lifestyle or situations and yeah. stuff and it's like do you want a contract do you want a tv show maybe we should do i wonder if there's like tlc conspiracy theories oh i'm sure there's plenty Full episode on that conspiracy theories in general because the duggar family is like a huge one mm-hmm. we gotta go because we it is 4 30 and you have to, or it is 406 and we have to go at you have to go at 4 30 and we have like two things to talk about before you go we got to pick up more episodes yes we do and there was one more thing anywho thank you for listening thank you for listening respect to the siblings of the boy um of joseph respect to anybody involved in the case anybody involved the even the investigators yeah they were so the in like involved with it and so respect and much love from us mm-hmm. and be safe and happy, safe and healthy. Yes. And um, make the best decisions you guys can. Please do. Don't make any stupid ones. No, no, no. <laughs> Anywho. Bye-bye. Bye bye. Bye.